0: Good morning, church. If you weren't here last week, I want to just give you a little bit of a recap. We started a seven-week conversation last week. Our groups are all engaged in, in this conversation about work and about why good work matters. Uh, and I, I wanted to make sure and say last week that if, even if you're not in a traditional 40-hour-a-week work job, uh, in an office maybe, uh, God calls all of us everywhere to certain kinds of calling, certain kinds of work. He's given us gifts and abilities and callings, and it's important for us to realize what those are, to come to see those, whether that's raising children at home or that's working uh, as an attorney or that's working as a janitor, wherever we find ourselves at work, uh, mission trips, as we talked about earlier, uh, God wants to use that, and he wants to connect our, our service, our work to our commitment to Jesus, because every day of our week is committed to that That life. And so the question is, how do we engage that work in a way that fits the kingdom and that tries to engage the people around us in the kingdom of God? And so I want to talk again to that this morning. If you have your Bibles open with me, if you would, to Genesis uh, chapter one, or if you have your phones, feel free to to open up to there. And uh, I want to start with a prayer and then we'll get into the text this morning. Our God, our Father, we uh, we come before you and we honor you. We praise you as the God who is above all gods. Uh, No one can stand against your power, God. And so we want to work in concert with your, concert, with, with your calling and with your power in our, our lives. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, would fill us this morning uh, with insight, with encouragement, uh, with correction where needed, and that you would give us a clear sense of what our calling is as your people. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week we discovered that work is not a four-letter word. Work isn't something that emerges after the fall as a consequence of human sin. No, work is there before all of that. It's a gift that God gives to us. Adam was working in the garden far before they eat the fruit. And so uh, we, we discovered that last week. And this week, I want to continue to connect the commands of God with our work uh, as well. And so Genesis 1.28 is where I want to begin reading about God's original design for the universe. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so command number one that God gives humans is be fruitful and multiply. And that of of course includes procreation, but I would suggest it is also a command to fill the earth when it comes to civilization, that our work is a part of that ongoing multiplying and filling in the way that God desires. But uh, command two is connected to that subduing, right? It it says there to subdue the earth, to rule over, it, to have dominion over the earth. So we have command one that's about filling the earth, command two that's about taking what God has given to us with this untapped resource of planet earth and making something of it. We've done a tremendous job. That's part of what I want to talk about today is to help us see the ways we fulfilled command number two and how your work, how your calling is applied to that second command that God gives to us. I want you to think about the garden for a moment. First seven days of creation, right? God creates on the seventh day he rests. He calls it good. He calls the humans that he creates very good. And I want you to imagine this garden, right? This earth, this full of nutrients, full of resources that are ready to spring forth. And I want you to think about that and then think about what's come today. Imagine Adam and Eve looking around at the civilizations, at the cities, at the pulsing heartbeat of 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 cultures that are moving all around our world, of what we've made of this untapped resource of the earth that God created. We have done good work. And I think that's what God is calling us to do, that in all of our work we're taking the untapped resources of the kingdom of God, of the earth that God has given to us, and we're making something of it. We're using our abilities and our skills, and and we build cities and civilizations and commerce and all these things. Uh, Genesis 2.15 gives another picture, another description of what God Gave Adam the task to do. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Animals are not given this task of creation, of jobs, right? It's humans who are given that task. We have the dignity, the calling that's different from the rest of the animal kingdom. And as part of what our work is to do is to evidence our dignity as human beings created in the image of a God who creates, we continue that act of creation as we co-rule with God. Again, the, the picture I have is of God handing us this resource and saying, make something of this, tap into this resource and continue to develop what's been given. See, the only difference between wilderness and culture is a little bit of hard work, right? I mean, think about the city of Dallas uh, 200 years ago, right? It didn't even exist. Maybe a, tr- a small trading post. But now there's a city with suburbs and infrastructure. All of that's come over the last 200 years because people have put work into the wilderness and it's become a vast, uh, a vast city. So we're commanded to take the earth that God has given and to do something with it. Which reminds me of a story that Jesus tells a little bit later on in the Gospels. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe keep a, a finger there in Genesis. We'll come back to that. But I want us to read from Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 through 30. This is a, I want to read the whole parable that Jesus shares about the talents or the bags of gold. Uh, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. With a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant." So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more. They will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing. So this master who represents God in this story, of course, gives to these servants all of this resource to do something with, right? And a talent back in those days, I want us to get the full picture, a talent would have been the equivalent of about 10 years wages, all right? So that's not a small gift that's being given. It's a bag of gold that means a lot. It would have maybe been 250 to a million dollars, depending on what those people had made. And, and what's the command while he's gone? I want you to put this to work, which is an interesting phrase for the series we're walking through. In other words, the the master has transferred his power, his ability to leverage his resources to these servants to continue that ongoing work of cultivation. The question is, will they invest it wisely? Will they squander the wealth that's been given to them? What's going to happen with the great investment that this master has made? For the longest time, as I think about Christianity and its development, we've seen a major difference between sins of omission and sins of commission. And by that, here's what I mean. We define what it means to follow Jesus more often by what we don't do than by the things that we're commanded to do that we follow through on from God. And so sin we tend to think of as, you know, making sure we don't do certain acts, certain vices. And if we don't do those things, then we're good Christians. But in this story that Jesus tells, sin is also failing to proactively partner with God in his dream for the world. Richard Mao was the former president of Fuller Theological Seminary. And he once met with some investment bakers in, in New York City. And he met with these you know, high-powered people who were throwing money here and there to invest in resources. And as he was talking about this idea, this story about the talents and the story about Genesis, he said that God is somewhat like an investment banker. He, he leverages his resources to create a, a whole world of new life. And so, Mao told these bankers, he said, when you see a need and you invest your resources, when you risk with the cost and, 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 and bring cost to something to create something new, to create a better quality of life, what you are doing is actually godlike. And you know what their response was, the investment makers? They said, Could you please tell my preacher that? Because it seems like every time he talks about money, it's about greed and about all that can go wrong. But for those of you who are financial planners, for those of you who are accountants, for those of you who are investors, what I want to say is you're doing the work of God when you put this money to use for the sake of God's ongoing development in his good world. When you handle that wisely, that's not something that's opposite. We tend to think of kingdom work as what happens in church, but kingdom work happens in all kinds of places in all kinds of ways. Remember in the story who the good and faithful servants are. Two of the servants double their money. And the master says the exact same thing to both of them. This is verse 21 once again. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, a lot of us say that one day we dream that when judgment day happens, our hope is we'll hear those words, right? You've heard people say that all the time. Sometimes though we forget the context of it, right? Well done, good and faithful servant is not said to the one who makes sure they don't make any mistakes. That's the one bad guy. In this story, the one who's told well done, good and faithful servant is the one who takes what they've been given and invested and continue to drive forward for the sake of God's kingdom. They have been godlike in leveraging the resources and abilities they've been given. The worst thing they could have done would have been to do nothing, which is actually pretty common in those days to bury a bag in the ground. That was the fiscally conservative move in that realm right he 's playing it safe because he 's afraid that this master may not like it if he loses what 's given to him and in this story, it seems like the master 's rage is a little disproportionate doesn't it? Let me read again his response to the one bag person uh, matthew twenty five verses twenty six and twenty seven his master replied, "You wicked, lazy servant you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. This guy has literally done nothing wrong, right? No vice here, no mistake. He didn't blow all the money on wild living like another story we read that Jesus tells. But the master tells him, you're a wicked, lazy servant. And and when it comes to the others, right, they've doubled their money. But think about this. The one who brought back five bags more brought a whole lot more back than the one with two, which leads us to realize that what God is wanting is, is not production. What God wants is partners, people who are willing to take the gifts and resources that God has given to us and advancing them for the sake of his good world. But the one talent guy, he just hides it in the ground. And so I want to take this story and kind of read Genesis 3 with this context once again, because some interesting things come alive when we realize this parable of the talents with what God's doing in Genesis 1 and 2. You see the connection between these stories? God has given us this wonderful resource, these talents, not just the abilities we have, but the resource of the earth. And he says, I want you to subdue it. I want you to manage it, to rule over. That's what I want you to do with these gifts I've given to you. And in the story with the one-talent guy, what does he do? He hides his talent in the ground, buries it. And if you know the story of Genesis 3, you may remember what happened after Adam and Eve disobeyed by eating the fruit in the garden. Uh, This is Genesis 3 verses 9 and 10. Listen closely. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He was afraid, so he hid kind of like the one talent guy who's afraid of the hard master and decides to bury and hide his talent in the ground. The story is as old as time itself, but God does not want us hiding from him or hiding our talents in the ground. But you know what's interesting about this story about Adam and Eve eating the fruit? When it comes to the evil one, when it comes to Satan in our lives that is work against us, Satan can do nothing to create new evil things. All that the evil one does when there's turmoil and chaos in our lives is he takes the good gifts that God has given us and causes us to misuse them in some way that was not its original intention. There's no creation of evil. Evil is just turning good things and taking them in ways that God never intended us to take them. And when we think about it that way, then if we follow God's commands, if we take the things God's given to us, the gifts, and we use them and utilize them in the ways he's desired us to do so, we're in a good place. But in this story, the serpent, the serpent doesn't create some evil tree there. What does he do? He calls them to consume rather than to cultivate. They've been cultivating this tree, I assume, along with all the others. They know this one's off limits. But in the end, the serpent doesn't have anything to say create evil or build a new tree. He says, I want you to, here, here's something that's good for food, pleasing the eye. Why don't you consume this? And when we step into a point of consumption, when God has called us to a place of creation and cultivation, Things go haywire often. So there's some curses that come as a result in Genesis 3. That's what some have referred to them as. It's interesting, these curses or these consequences. The first is that, uh, well, about the serpent. But after that, when it comes to humans and the challenges that we face, the first is interesting, right? Your pain will be more severe in childbearing. Some of you know quite well what that is like. I can't quite speak to that this morning. But isn't it interesting that the first command God gives, be fruitful and multiplied? is directly tied to the first consequence of the fall, right? That childbearing will be more painful, which is trying to fulfill the first command. The second command is interesting in the same way, right? The second command is subdue the earth, rule over. But the second consequence that comes is that your work's going to be more difficult. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. It's interesting how the consequence is tied directly to the commands that God has given to us. But what's interesting is the rabbis didn't refer to these as curses. They called them observations. They're observing the way the world now is as a result of sin. But it doesn't mean that it has to remain that way. And the rabbis would have never taught that. I mean, can I hear an amen for the work of John Bonica? You may not know John, but some of you have been blessed by him. He created the epidural. He's working against the curse, right? It's okay to say amen. Now, I'm not going to say that he's made childbirth any easier, but he certainly didn't make it any harder, right? Or, or I'm grateful for those who have spent their lives in the craft of farming and agriculture because we've developed fertilizer and aeration and irrigation methods that have worked against the consequences of the fall to make the world a better place. All of us are in that work, aren't we, of reversing the curse, of reversing and moving against the way our world is mo- moves toward decay. So if you think about the world, the work that you do, my question for you would be this. How are you contributing to the further ongoing development and cultivation, subduing and having dominion over in a beneficial way of the earth that God has given to us? In fact, in our groups this week, I want us to engage that conversation because for some of us, it'll be real easy to see that connection. We see the fruit of our labor. We see that it makes an impact. We see that it matters to God's kingdom. For others of us, we may not see that, but in community, I think it's possible to see that others may help us see the gift that we are in all the different ways that we do our work and our calling. I was thinking about this uh, over the last few weeks, and I've had my eyes open for this cultivation of the earth and how that's going. And I got to thinking about just a simple task that a lot of us do. Just think about maybe this morning you were pouring a, a bowl of cereal, right? I don't know what your cereal of choice is, but let's just imagine it's a Wheaties box, right? Think for a moment about all of the people. And the processes that led to this simple act of you pouring your bowl of cereal this morning. I mean, somebody somewhere had to have a farm, a pot of land. They had to decide, we're going to work this land. We're going to put wheat on this land. And so the farmer plants the seeds for the wheat, but it doesn't come automatically, right? You got to wait a season and you've got to have an irrigation method. And people developed that whole idea of irrigation. And how are we going to irrigate and make sure water comes on properly to this wheat? But eventually you're going to have a harvest time, right? how do we harvest wheat? Well, that's changed over the years. Now we have equipment to do that, right? So at some point, a guy named John Deere, or somebody, you know, I, I don't know if John was the one who did it. I don't know the whole story, but, but now we have this tractor and there were people that developed that over the years to make the job of harvesting easier. And think about all the people that were involved with that. I mean, even just getting the tractor to the property would have taken an infrastructure in our company if construction workers that were building highways and were building roads between places. Those trucks and truck drivers did all that work to make sure the tractor was there. But after you harvest the wheat, then you've got to get that to the processing plant, right? And so you have people who are part of that task of making sure they get that there. And once it gets to the processing plant, think about all that goes on in putting that cereal into a Wheaties box, right? There's people who brand that so that it catches your eye when you go by the grocery store. There's There's people that are involved in the marketing and the sales and and doing all that work of making sure the company's doing all that it does. And, And then we get it off the shelf and somewhere we've had enough money. We've had excess money to be able to pay for the food that's there. There's all these processes that go in and we don't think about that, right? All we do is pour a bowl of cereal, but think about the ways that all of these humans, hundreds, thousands, I don't know how many, were involved in the simple task of putting the Wheaties in the box that you pour in the morning. And not to mention, you've got a whole process for the milk that you poured if you eat cereal with milk, right? And if you've got a spoon or a bowl that's there, all of those processes are involved for this simple act. 200 years ago, it wasn't near as simple, was it? But today, we just go to the grocery store. And, and then I got to thinking about the grocery store, right? This is what happens when you start to open your eyes to this, right? Mar- Holly and I had, uh, experienced a modern miracle the other day at Market Street. We shopped without our three kids, which is a modern miracle. You know, how hard it is if you take your kids along, and, and so we had babysitting that day, we went and and as I was walking down these aisles, it just hit me how remarkable, how miraculous this idea of a modern grocery store is. Think about this, right from From the ground of Genesis one and two to being able to walk down an aisle and decide we want jelly for our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? It's hard to pick jelly these days because of how many brands there are, right? how many flavors there are, right? And somebody somewhere decided, I'm going to give my life's work to developing jelly. And a lot of other people did in competition to them. But it's not just the jelly, right? You think about going up and down those aisles yourself. Do this when you're going later this week, maybe this afternoon when you go. Just walk up and down those aisles and realize how many million, thousands, millions of people have been involved in developing economy, have been involved in developing the jelly business, uh, or, or just how miraculous it is that you can walk into a grocery store, or you can walk into a Walmart at 3 a.m., and you can find a tomato no matter what season of the year it is, right? We have fresh produce available. Like, Imagine walking Adam through a grocery store today, right? Can you imagine what he, and maybe the Eden was you know, good enough, maybe, maybe Moses would be the one, but, but imagine taking someone from that era and walking them through. Can you imagine what their face would look like? And is it, we just take it for granted. Think about this. uh, Maybe later today, you'll have a salad uh, at lunch. Maybe you have pomegranates in that salad, some avocados and lettuce. It's possible that in that bowl of salad that you're eating, that people have harvested things from three different continents to put things into your bowl. And yet all we do is eat a salad and move on with our lives. Uh, I, I saw this the other day when I was at the movie theater, paid my admission and walked in and Watch the movie, and all of a sudden I stayed after the movie, seeing things a little differently. Have you ever done this before? Get to the end, the end, you move out. But, but if you, next I want to encourage you stay and watch the credits. Because the flood of names that go down that screen represent people who have given their lives, have given all of their efforts, their abilities, they gave weeks, months, even years of their lives perhaps so that you could enjoy two hours of a movie at a theater. Just remarkable work that's done all over the place that we forget about. Hit us in a more important way on December 30th. It was early in the morning, 2 o'clock when our daughter woke up. I didn't wake up, but Holly put her close enough to my ear, I finally woke up. And, 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 and she took her temperature and it ended up being about 104, 105. So we were pretty concerned. Flu was going around and all that. Some of you were in the hospital about the same time. And, and I was just thinking about, you know, if, we, if this had happened 400 years ago and we were living, how different that scenario would have been from what it was today. Because we knew all we had to do was to drive down the road and there would be an ER that was open at Children's Medical Center of Plano. And we could walk in and these people who had been preparing all their lives for this moment, which isn't even that hard of a moment compared to some of the moments you all have walked into in hospitals recently. But we knew someone would be there to take care of our daughter and we could walk out and her temperature would probably be close to normal. We'd have a diagnosis. And we'd have a route of trying to heal her. That's remarkable. It didn't happen a hundred years ago in the same way it does today. And we take all these things for granted. But what I'm trying to point out to you is this is the development of culture. This is the development of civilization. This is the fulfillment of the second command in scripture to subdue the earth, to rule over it, to have dominion, to make something good of this untapped resource of the earth that God has given to us. And the only way that was possible was a result of people who did good work. Think in your own industry right now. Whatever it is that you do work in, okay? Or that you've done work in in the past. Or that maybe you're planning to do work in. Just think about all the people who have come for the centuries before you in that line of work. Some of you, it may be newer. It may be years, right? Decades. But think with me just about all the people that did it in a more difficult way than you're able to do it. Because they added their expertise to people over the years that have led to the position you're in, and what you're a part of is adding to that expertise for the next generation. It will make that process even easier. It's remarkable when you open your eyes. Just open your eyes this week. Have this conversation in your groups this week. This is us fulfilling the command that God has given to us. And we've tended to see work outside of the church as a necessary evil. But what I want to say to you, if you have eyes to see, is this. It is remarkable how well humans have learned to have dominion over the earth. There's examples where we've done a really poor job of it. It's really important that we take care of the earth. We are not owners of the earth. We are stewards of the earth. And so how we manage this task is very important. So there are people that aren't adding to the flourishing of, of, human, of humanity. But my hope is that all of us are learning to do that better in better ways. Think about this. Without accountants and auditors, it's remarkable how well humans are able to organize and trust one another in business. And were it not for them, I wonder where we'd be today. Without educators, we wouldn't be able to add education over the years where one generation learns, the next gets to learn from what's learned after that. Without farmers, there'd be no food to feed any of us for the professions that we have. Without construction workers, we'd be there dealing with the elements that we just take for granted. We're within buildings that have been constructed and secured firmly. Without occupational therapists, we wouldn't recover and rehabilitate near as quickly to do the work that so many of us think of doing that we can lose in just an instant. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm just a mom, Colin. And my response to you is this. Could anything be more connected to the ongoing creation of the world than literally physically bringing human life into existence and supporting that life and nurturing that life as it's shaped and it's formed? I do much of my work praying and writing on a computer screen, at a desk, and at a chair. A lot of people did a lot of work so that I could sit at that chair. And those people had no idea what that chair would be used for. They didn't know it would be an office chair that would end up in some warehouse someplace not to be used. They didn't have any idea that it would be the chair that I would choose. You have no idea how the small tasks that you do that you think may be meaningless may be bearing fruit far beyond what your eyes can see. Some of you who are teachers need to hear this clearly, right? Because you don't get to see the finished product. You see for a season, or maybe you're a mom or a dad and you feel like you're pouring all your resources and you don't know if it's connecting. But maybe you're doing work that seems insignificant. My hope through this series, maybe today you've gotten a glimpse of it even more is you're fulfilling the command of God. You're going about your work. You're bringing life into the world. You're nurturing it. You're having dominion in the way God intended us to have it. So church, do not bury your talent. Don't hide it in the ground because what we're called to do is to reverse the curse. I love thinking about this, that tomorrow there will be anesthesiologists that are walking into hospitals to give help to mothers who will be birthing babies. And they're working against the curse. They're working against the consequences of the fall. Or think about the agriculturalists and the, People in our service industries that are going about their work, right? They're working against the fact that our thorns and thistles will be more difficult and they're advancing technology to make sure that we don't just submit to the curse. We try to move against it because God's good world demands more than just leaving it as it is. Or imagine the marriage therapists who are working against those consequences of the fall where it says your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you these power dynamics that are at play in our culture and in our world so often that often destroy marriages, right? These marriage therapists are working in that dynamic to try to help bring a, a better world to these families that matters for their kids and for the next generation. And I could go on and on about how all of our work is seeking to do just that. The, the Jew, Jews had a, had, a, had a phrase for this in the Hebrew. We talk about it as the takun olam which simply means the repair of the world or the healing of the world. They believed that all of their vocations, all of their tasks were tied up with God, bringing healing to the world that was under the curse of the evil one. So this week, as you open your eyes, as you walk into your office or into your garage or wherever it might be that you do your calling in your work, what I want to encourage you to do is to open your eyes see your work through the lens of Genesis 1 and 2 and ask the question am i standing against the healing of the world in my profession and in my work or am i helping to heal it and to turn it back to god's good intention my guess is you're doing more good than you can even see or imagine tacoon along yes we pray that god's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is In heaven, But when we say that amen, we don't stop. We go back to work. And when we go back to work, you know what we're doing? We're bringing God's kingdom to earth. We're welcoming his reign in the ways that we care for this earth, in the ways that we care for people, in the ways that we continue the work of culture building. Our work is to contribute to that effort. So may you find your work contributing to God's healing. Because all work can be considered good if your work is contributing to that cause. Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Our God and Father, we thank you for the way that you've designed our world. We thank you for the great gift you've given to us, this talent, talents that you've given to us. And those look like abilities and they look like resources, but they also look like this world that you've entrusted to us. God, I so often walk through miracles all around me without even seeing your great plan and how people throughout the centuries have brought us to this place. From The cell phones we take for granted, to the grocery stores that we walk through, to the ER clinics that are open at all times of night, to the teachers who care for our kids in schools, God. God, for all these ways, would you help us see even deeper and more seriously how we can contribute to that, how this tikkun olam that you're involved in, God, this healing of the world, we want to be partners with you in that for the sake of your promise and for the sake of your purpose. So God, help us see more clearly. Help us stand against the ways that our jobs move against that and move against the healing of the world and help us to be participants with you in this act. It's in the name of Jesus that we all pray.